This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. How, well, how about how was your Thanksgiving that definitely happened several days ago and not in several days in the future? We're talking about Thanksgiving here on Overdue, a podcast of books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. You know, we could just an easier Thanksgiving open would have been to talk about what we were thankful for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving that definitely has already happened. Has already happened in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Where I drank a I'm gonna be. In, I will have been in Chicago and had a <laughs> Goose Island that tasted good. Maybe. Oh yeah, you can't get good Goose Island on the East Coast. Yeah, um, and I probably convinced someone to let me go find a hot dog in Chicago to eat because I do mm-hmm. like eating a good Chicago hot dog. You get some Portillos or something. Yeah. Oh, like dip. Mm-hmm. If I if I got some Portillos on my trip, I bet I'll be happy now. I've lost I've lost the thread of time. We are recording this before the, here's the illusion I'm dispelling it. We are recording this before we go on our respective Thanksgiving vacations. We know we fooled you. We fooled all of you. You couldn't tell. We fooled you good. Uh because A, we wanted to make sure that there was a podcast ready to go despite our travels and B, we could not wait to talk about wizards anymore. I'm thankful for wizards. I am mostly thankful for wizards. This week I read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's or Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Mm. Sorcerer's Stone is the Americanization and I would I would think at this point, like Harry Potter is so popular that they would do what they did for like the Beatles albums. Like the original releases of the Beatles albums were super different in America and Britain. Like they chopped and screwed them in America and they were just totally different. Like sure. Remixes of the British albums. Sure. But like starting in, 80, in the 80s when they did like the CD re-releases, I think they just unified everything. And so I'm surprised that they have not like philosophers stoned the U.S. market. But we still get I I got I read the Kindle version and we still get Sorcerer's Stone over here. Yeah, I wonder too if that there was. We'll talk. Well, we're going to talk about this in the opening of the show. We'll talk about a lot of things. Um, because the first book was published in the UK in 1997, right? And it took a year and like three months before it hit the states through Scholastic. And then you've got to you've got to translate it from British English into American English. <laughs> That's true. It's like a Final Fantasy game. I also know that there was like there you know there the original Harry Potter had a different like typeface on the on the cover and so I think some of the design that may have cropped up around the American releases and then the the film releases that then informed the rest of the series. Well, and one May. of the one of the changes, some one of our uh, listeners sent us a big list of oh, I've got stuff a couple that, that changed that I like. yeah. from the yeah. There's some good ones, um, but one of the things apparently was the British version didn't have like different handwriting fonts for people's oh. letters, and the U.S. version does. So that's one like designy thing that the U.S. version does. Sure. Other 
they as Andrew said, they did a bunch of minor word changes between the two editions. Uh, I just pulled out a couple of my favorites. Rebecca sent this in. This is from the hplexicon.org. Um, and I like bobble hats, which is the British word for bonnets. Uh-huh. Uh, apparently in Britain, you call the stove the cooker, <laughs> which I like. Uh, they changed all the mummies to mommies so that kids mm-hmm. wouldn't get extra scared, I suppose. Right. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there, there are a few good ones, like toilet becomes bathroom, video becomes VCR, post becomes mail, letterbox becomes mail slot. Uh, uh, my personal oh, favorite, I think, this is, and you can go on after this, my personal favorite is converting hamburger bars to hamburger restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also enjoyed changing uh, jacket potato to baked potato. I didn't know it was called a jacket potato. Yeah, if you think about a jacket potato, just think of a of a potato and like a little life vest. Yeah. I think. Or like yeah. a little north like a little north face potato coat. I like the idea that all potatoes are wearing jackets mm-hmm. and we're just removing them when we mash them. I'd never mm-hmm. thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. I also like that they changed jelly to jello, getting in on that brand recognition. Of course, of course. And finally, Teddy to the Teddy. I what? don't really know what that one's about. Um, I think if it was like a teddy bear. Hold, on, let me do a quick Kindle search because America invented teddy bears. Like, yeah, the guy that teddy bears are named after <laughs> is an American guy. Yeah, no, it is. It is. A, it is referring to a teddy bear. So weird. That's that's a that's a strange one. What do you what are you doing, J.K.? I don't know, J.K. So we're talking about J.K. Rowling. This is uh, jo- Joanne Rowling, who has published books under the name J.K. Rowling, and Robert Galbraith. We talked about Robert Galbraith's mystery book, uh, uh, the, the Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Calling. Cuckoo's Calling with our back friend. in episode one fifty two with our friend Margaret H. Wilson. Yes, um, and, and she... these are these are post. That's a post Harry Potter book. Like that whole series is like post Harry Potter for her. Yeah. We're also, let's get this out of the way, Andrew. We're not going to pretend that this opening section of the podcast is going to like it's make or break anything your know. knowledge yeah. <laughs> about Harry Potter, one of the most popular things that has ever existed. Um, so we're, we can only hope to maybe fill in some blanks or call attention to some things that we find interesting because there's like seven main books, there's a two part play, there's eight movies because the last there's movie some, was two movies yeah there's some spin-off books there's fantastic beats and where to hear them there's quidditch no, that's okay through the ages <laughs> which both those books are in fiction as is tales both of, of those Beetle books the are in fiction books that become books yeah okay there's a theme park in florida uh, there's a website called Pottermore. Yeah, it's like an entire online media platform in and of itself. So, like, guess what is popular? Harry Popular. Oh, get it. Um, and all of the books, they she started writing them, I think, in 1990 or 1991. She put it down for a little bit, and then her mother passed away. And after that, she kind of dove into writing the first book to kind of get through her grief. Um, and she has said in 
interviews, one interview with the Telegraph in particular, she said, death is the key to understanding, um, oh, this is from the Telegraph article, excuse me, the key to understanding J.K. Rowling, her greatest fear, and she's completely unhesitant about this, is of someone she loves dying. Quote, my books are largely about death. They open with the death of Harry's parents. There is Voldemort's obsession with conquering death and his quest for immortality at any price, the goal of anyone with magic. Um, and she said that a lot of the other themes that crop up are kind of incidental to the plot. Like she just tried to write a good plot and then the other themes show up. But the the whole idea of like dealing with death and the big spoilers for each book revolving around death, like that makes sense given where yeah. the books came from. And she also like famously sort of wrote this first book. Like the, the first Harry Potter book is her debut novel, mm-hmm. which is kind of astounding actually. Yeah, true. Um, and she wrote it like while on welfare and like between jobs. She she was not well off when she was creating no, this no. series. And, and I feel her like first this is amount of money was not that, a lot either. Yes, right. Um, and the fact that this gigantic, sprawling, all encompassing media empire sprung from that is as strong an argument for like a good, strong social safety net as I think I can I can think of. <laughs> That's not like bad. think about yeah, all the like people who's whose lives have been changed because of this book. And I like might take issue with some of that. Like I think we'll talk about a little bit later, but like this thing might not have existed if she'd had to just take literally any job she could get to stay alive. Yeah. Hey, so I buy that. That's a cool take, yeah. Andrew. Thanks. Um, I'm just making it. I'm just tying it into tying it into current events. Do you want a thing that's going to bum you out? That's sort of current eventy. When fine, so like when she, I mean, I am on Twitter, like, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need this. So, when she went to publish the first book, um, she didn't like say what age group it was for. The publishers, I think, um, what was the original publisher in Britain? It was Bloomsbury. Um, they said, okay, it's going to be for nine to 11 year olds, and they're like, hey, listen, we can't put a lady's name on this book. So you need to, and it was like close to publication. So it was like really under the gun. So and this she, is in 1997. This is not yeah. in like 1868. Well, and and they're like, it's because boys won't read it, and we need boys to read it. So I guess blame nine year old boys, but really don't blame them because they're little boys, and you should just make them read a good book. <laughs> like just just find a way to get this book in their hands. Yeah, I mean that's that's very much like it, it's not so much the author's name in and of itself, but it's just like it's how the books are marketed, it's how yep. they're how the covers are done. Like that, there's a reason why like Nancy Drew is for girls and Hardy Boys are for boys, or yep. like Goosebumps are for boys and Babysitters Club is for girls. Like, and I know it's, it's I all know like gendered nonsense. There are folks even in my theater community that I know that have like they use a or have used a credit that is like initials rather than their name because it has gotten them better coverage. Like it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think we're like, fingers crossed that we're like close to a tipping point on some of this stuff, but it is certainly a thing that, that is woven into our history. Yeah. And then it's been so endemic for so long that it's just gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a fight for the foreseeable future, I think. But, um, I mean, she showed them, I think. <laughs> yeah, <'cause it's laughs> because it's freaking some, huge. I've got, yeah, I've got some stats on Harry Potter here that I that I looked up. Um, oh, hit me. As of 2016, Scholastic says the books have sold over 400 million copies in 68 <laughs> languages. Oh, 
Okay. Um, last year in 2016, um, she published the script for the play, um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is billed as the, as the eighth entry in the series. I've not actually read this, like full disclosure up front. I've read all seven. It's been a long time since I read seven in particular. Okay. Um, but it was the, it was the best-selling book of 2016 with 4.1 million print books sold. Um, it had the best single week sales in the UK of any book this decade so far. It unseated. Guess what it unseated? Can you guess? The previous Harry Potter book. It is something we've read for the show. Oh, snap. Oh, Fifty Shades. Yep. Ah! <laughs> Good job, JK. Got to take that down. And that she still commands this kind of power like 10 year, 10 full years after the last proper Harry Potter book was published like yeah. six years after the end of the movie franchise is just like and we've we've moved away from having a monoculture for for books and TV and movies to to a large extent but she is she is somebody who breaks through and can still command this huge yeah. popular attention I think like at this across point, people of all demographics I think, I think at this point it's like Star Wars Marvel movies and Harry Potter like that's our monoculture and like and i think that's probably honestly in reverse order <laughs> yeah no i think that's very possible um the movies are like the second most money making franchise ever probably behind like star wars or or some marvel nonsense mm-hmm. um the other interesting thing when when a franchise gets this big you start running into legal trouble just by the nature of it existing. Yeah, I mean you're going to you're going to draw out people you would not have drawn out if you had been less successful regardless of whether their claims have any merit or yeah. not. So uh, I I highlighted a couple that I just want to share with you Andrew. One a uh, woman named Nancy Stofer came forward saying that she had written a book called The Legend of Ra and the Muggles uh claiming that J.K. Rowling stole the word muggles from her, uh, and also that she had come up with a character named Larry Potter, who was a, <laughs> a bespectacled brown-haired boy uh, who she had put in some like activity booklets. Uh-huh. They later said that those activity booklets were like never really distributed, and that... Uh, some of the references to the word muggle were inserted into her book after Harry Potter came out. It's unclear. Sure. Rolling won that one. I can't like I can't believe you haven't heard of Larry Potter and the Cool Rock. <laughs> now, speaking of wizard plagiarism, the estate of a writer named Adrian Jacobs, who died in 1997, claimed that portions of Goblet the Goblet of Fire, which is what the fourth Harry Potter book. Yes, um, I've read the first two, and I've seen five and a half films. Um, so you're I, you fell asleep through that sixth one, I guess. I never read the sixth uh, book. I never saw the sixth film, and I only saw the second half of the seventh book's film. I saw the because it was two movies. Oh, so you've seen well, okay, so you've seen you've seen six movies. 
but what but one but of them's you, half a book. One of them's half a book and then there's also a movie in between the fifth and the seventh ones that yeah. you just did just, not. I don't know. Okay. I I literally <laughs> to this day do not know who the Half-Blood Prince is. Don't spoil it for me. Adrian mm-hmm. Jacobs' estate claimed that parts of Goblet of Fire were ripped from Adventures of Willie the Wizard Livid Land. Um it's where my favorite Sega Master System <laughs> game. <laughs> there's there's some similarities to how Harry like solves the trials of the Goblet of Fire. I don't think that that went anywhere either. Um, because of how big it is, when the movie started happening, uh, you started to see issues where Warner Brothers would like get the domains from fan sites. Mm-hmm. Like you're like the, you're the 15 year old girl running like Harry Potter info dot biz or whatever. Sure. And Warner Brothers is like, yo, we need that domain. We need that domain. <laughs> Harry that Potter one. info dot biz is <laughs> lucrative real estate. And I know that those fan fiction communities are like huge. And so it, chances are some of our listeners are like part of them just because of how huge they are. Um, and then the last one, and this I had no idea about this. Uh, because they're so big, they also have gone on the offensive in terms of uh, getting injunctions against people who broke street date. And they were able to get something through in court that could punish people. Preempt- like it was, It's almost like a preemptive punishment where they were able to get a court to agree to something called the Potter injunction, which made a legal case for people who broke street date even if like they didn't know who those people were when the filing went to court so it's like a future crime um harry potter and the minority report yeah and what's weird is that this the this standard has been invoked since uh including one point where like glaxo smith klein used it against folks that they anticipated would campaign against them because of animal rights like it's very interesting it's like half of a like you need to protect your brand but now you've created like a legal standard where you can preemptively call someone guilty because Mm -hmm. you knew they had your book sure um yeah i think we'll talk a little bit more after we talk about this first book about kind of the reception of it um and your relationship to it andrew anything else before we like dive into the book proper uh no I don't I don't think I have any other big stuff. Um we talked about the media empire, we talked about the the sales. I think this is all this is all important context for reading this because it is like this book is the one thing that exists from before Harry Potter was a thing. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And so it's yeah, it's I I've tried super super hard to like read it in a vacuum kind of like insofar as I've tried to just approach it as I would any book I was reading for the first time and not as the start of this huge thing at most if someone said hey read this cool book about a young wizard like at most not like oh this is the book that spawned Harry Potter right yeah yeah, sure 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 well let's take a quick break and then we'll find out how this book held up all right Hello, Andrew. Hi, Craig. We've got a sponsor this week, and their name is HelloFresh. Hello. Fresh. They're a food 
a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite order in which to do those three things. Yeah, I try not to enjoy things before I eat them. I try not to enjoy the cooking part. I only enjoy it after I've eaten it, usually, which is interesting because when I was making HelloFresh, I actually did enjoy the cooking part. <laughs> That's it's like a circle then, which is kind mm-hmm. of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, they are pretty convenient. Uh, you can choose your delivery day for when it works best for you. If you're going to go out of town, you can pause it. Uh, as I said, all the ingredients are pre-measured in labeled meal kits, so you know which goes with which recipe, and it goes right to your door in recyclable packaging. Uh, and they also give you, they're very flexible. Uh, there's like a variety of recipes to choose from, classic veggie and family. Uh, one has like obviously meat, fish, and, and seasonal produce. One has vegetarian recipes. Uh, and the family stuff is like quick and easy meals um that the whole family will love as they say with the yum worthy flavor Mm -hmm. i like a yum worthy flavor (laughs) um andrew you said that you enjoyed the cooking can you tell me how exciting it was to cook (laughs) i don't know if exciting is is the word but um, i i've i have tried a few different uh meal delivery services in the past you know there are there are a bunch of them out there and um what i liked about about hellofresh was one, the packaging. They actually package every individual meal in a separate bag so you don't just like dump everything in a crisper drawer and then have to like root around in there mm, to sure. find the specific kind of onion or like sour cream packet it is that you need. That's cool. <laughs> for this week's meal. And um, I also found that the recipe, like they, they are really good recipes, but they they use um, fewer ingredients and simpler ingredients than uh, other delivery services I've tried. So um, they take less time to prepare. There's just like less to the the chopping and 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 prepping phase, and oh, they're cool. also easier to recreate yourself. So if you have something you really like and you want to make it again later. It's easier to go out to a grocery store and and find that stuff. Like, or I, like I know scale that. Scale it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like some people d- don't have access to a huge supermarket, and so it's hard to find like creme fraiche and all kinds of crazy mm-hmm. spices and things. But uh, this this it was not that way for HelloFresh, and I really appreciated that. Were there any meals that you particularly enjoyed that you can remember? Well, I mean, we made a mac and cheese thing. We made a chicken thing. We made a steak thing. I do like a good steak thing. I do like a and good steak thing. Because Susanna does not eat steak, I just got two steaks. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's the best. Uh, if you, the listener, want to eat two steaks, uh, you should try HelloFresh. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter the promo code OVERDUE30. Uh, that is HelloFresh.com, promo code OVERDUE30, and you too can eat two steaks. <laughs> Andrew, we have another announcement. Beep, 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 beep. It's beep, a beep, house beep. ad. Beep, beep, beep. It's a house ad. Uh, we are opening our merch store for the holiday season. We didn't give you any time, but now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, listen, listen, gang. We got stock left. You've got money left. Let's and do it. The, hol- the holidays are coming up. So go to overduepodcast.com slash store. Um, we have the same mugs and tote bags and bookmarks and stickers that we had when we had the merch store open earlier this year. But uh, everything has been has been discounted quite a bit um, just because 
at this point, honestly, when you buy things, you are helping me clear out my spare bedroom just as much <laughs> as you are buying a cool thing for yourself. Yeah. So head on over to overduepodcast.com slash store, as Andrew said. Check out what we got. Uh, and then we'll try and get it to you in time for the holidays. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna run it for the next two or three weeks. I imagine we will uh, we will stop as soon as like that that holiday window closes. But uh, yeah, we we will ship stuff fast so you can get it in time. If you want to give people a cool mug or tote bag, and just see their faces light up, woo! <laughs> yeah, this is this is your chance to do it. So overduepodcast.com slash store. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Uh, where's it come my parents? And I sat right there. And then I woke up and I was living under some stairs. <laughs> what are you doing? I whistled for a train and when it came forth, I hopped oh, no, on annoying. and said, Yo Holmes to Hogwarts. Wait. I, as much as I want to hear the rest of the Half Blood Prince of Bel Air <laughs> that you're doing over there, <laughs> I think we should we should talk about this book. Yeah, probably. probably. So we're talking about the first Harry Potter book, right? The first Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone, if you are in the UK. Okay. Um, so you, you, when, when, when was the last time you interfaced with Harry Potter at all? Like, when did you read this book? I read this book in high school. I read the first two books in high school, which would have been the early aughts. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the movies had maybe just started coming out. Yeah. The first one came out in 2001, I believe. So, yeah. So the movies came out. I don't remember if I read the book or saw the movie first, um, and then I, I didn't read any more books after two. And then I've no, obviously... No more books. Nope. <laughs> Never again. Um, and then... Yeah, so it wasn't part of me, like, growing up. We were both, what, like, 11 or 12 when the first book came out. So we were, like, just outside of that Target demo, but not too yeah, far Yeah, though, out. like, the, the demo quickly expanded to include everybody on the planet. On the planet. So that was helpful. So what about what about you? How did you meet Harry Potter? I'm j- I really honestly struggle to remember the very first time I, I, I read this book. I, it was either something I bought at a book fair or something that my mom got me because she pretty proactively... Um, got books in different like fantasy series for me. So oh, cool. like the Redwall books was because I got it from my mom. The um, Prudane books by Lloyd Alexander, oh, uh, the Book of Three of and Black yeah, Cauldron yeah. and uh, and all those I got because my mom got me them. And that that's all born of my enthusiasm for Narnia and uh, Tolkien. Sure, of course. So I think that's probably where I read it the first time. But um, starting with the f- fifth book i was buying them on day one like reading like, them within a weekend kind reading of thing. them within a weekend like even though i didn't not have problems with those last three books in the series sure okay and is that about um, when the consensus is that like she wasn't getting edited as much because they were clearly a phenomenon yeah like that i mean that's listen that is that is my 
read. That's your, okay, I'm informed by I, your read on this. I sure. know that there are people who will go to bat for the entire series. And yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm going to talk about fandom a little bit, like especially later, but my experience of it is that the first three books are fantastic. Mm. The fourth book is really good. Um, and, and I think the, the debate tends to be like between which is the best, I think three and four go back and forth. Okay. Okay. And then I felt like five marked a, a tonal shift that, that I don't think did the world that many favors. And also it like coincided with her just becoming so massively phenomenally lucrative and famous that nobody's going to tell her no anymore. And as much, listen, as much as writers hate editors, <laughs> editors do a, a, an important job <laughs> sure yeah of course um, and i guess so, what yeah. i don't have a sense of from not reading the the other books but it's certainly something i've learned through cultural osmosis right is that the books grow up with harry so like the yes, book yeah the first book is like technically taking place in 1991 I think is what I read, and then they go to 1998. Even though yeah, time is time is only very wobbly. obliquely referenced throughout. Like I think sure. in the in the second book is the first time they actually name a date, and they say like something happened 50 years ago, and then there's a a trophy from like 1942 something. or something sure. like that. Yeah. that, that okay. yeah. So, um, so and one of the convenient things about the Harry Potter universe is that every book is an academic year for right yeah i mean that and that is how kids lives like kids years are experienced it is also very convenient then that all evil things take about an academic year to foment <laughs> and then be solved listen all evil things begin in august and then resolve themselves by may i think that's that's well known in the same way that everything that jack bauer had to deal with would like come to a head and then be solved within 24 hours like it's yeah just, or just like it. something really tense would happen every hour on the hour in a yes. way that was really narratively nothing ever useful. got solved at 11:59 or the 59 there's always something like left unfinished right like the like then there was never i don't know it was we can talk we can talk a <laughs> we lot about 24 <laughs> we could have a whole 24 podcast that i don't even know what it would be so tell me about the, the have a real time 24 podcast oh my god i don't know do how it. that would work let's talk about harry potter though what happens in this book so this book has a lot of a lot of lifting to do um i'm not sure I I assume that she planned it as a series. I don't know how much planning she did, but obviously this book is written to be followed up with other stuff, which okay. she she did for yeah. sure. Um so she's got to lay the groundwork for that, like do a lot of world building. She's got to create a bunch of characters to get you interested. She's got to explain how a lot of rules work, and she also has to keep you the reader entertained without like completely overwhelming you with information. True. So uh, chapter one of the book is called The Boy Who Lived, and it is it happens around uh, 10 years before the action of the rest of the book. Okay. And um, it tells the story of Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive, uh, who are proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm called grunnings which made drills i just like the name grunnings so much so many good british names and words like that that just sound onomatopoeic in a way mm -hmm. yeah 
That's good. Um, and the book is is explaining their extremely like aggressively normal lives, and they mention that the Dursleys, like uh, Mrs. Dursley, has a sister, um, who the the Dursley family shies away from. They don't want any, they don't want to have anything to do with those Potters. Oh, because they're strange in okay. ways that they that are not explained. Ooh. Um, yeah, and so here's just like a representative example of of this goofy normalcy. Um, Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might've found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owl swooping past in broad daylight, though people down on the street did. They pointed and gazed open mouthed as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl, even at nighttime. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal owl free morning. He yelled at five different people. He made several important telephone calls and shouted a bit more. Like yell at five different people. That's a what that's a good that's day. A good, that's a good like, normal day. Self important Dursley's doing the work. Manager, like manager figure. Oh god. Yeah. Always oh, children's books always coming for the middle managers. Always always out to show how different and cool their protagonist kid is by how boring the middle management dad is. I mean, as as somebody who spent no small amount of time in middle management, like we we do deserve to be vilified. I think. I, no, I get it. Like it's a, it's a very it's an underappreciated role, but it's also super easy to do it really bad. And a lot of the people in middle management have done that thing where they've risen to the level of their incompetence, which is oh too gosh, bad. oh gosh. Let's <laughs> stop before we impugn any listeners. Um, sure. So what is going on? I with only the impugn myself. Who is um, this boy? Why did he live? Well, so okay, so the Dursleys have a very normal day, but after the Dursleys like go to like they after they turn in after they go to bed we see on privet drive this old guy uh named dumbledore he shows up and he meets this lady who like turns from a cat into a lady and they're talking about these lily and james potter who got who have been killed by some evil wizard named voldemort um and they like voldemort tried to kill them and he did and then he tried to kill their infant son, Harry. And for whatever reason, he just vanished after that. Like he he failed and then he vanished. Okay. And so they have this baby who's got a, a wound that looks like a lightning bolt on his head. And they decide, you know, the, the best thing for him is to leave him with his family. And so they leave him on the Dursley's doorsteps. And they wake up the next morning and... They have they have they have boy. to they have to take in this little boy who's part of a family that they hate and raise. Him. Oh, great! Okay, and they treat him like garbage, right? Because they they don't... treat him like absolute garbage. <laughs> like he, the Dursleys have a son named Dudley who is only ever described in unflattering terms. Oh man! And they so clearly like dislike Harry and go out of their way to make Harry's life miserable. He has to live in a closet under the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, he only get like they go to the zoo, which they only they only take Harry because they can't get a sitter. And he like only gets ice cream because he only gets a dessert because like Dudley gets one and decides to throw a fit about some minor thing that's wrong with it. And then Harry got to finish it. So oh, like, that's cool. That's a good day for Harry Potter. <laughs> Eating Dudley's leftovers. 
Great. And Harry Potter, like he knows that strange things happen around him, but he knows also that he has no way of explaining them. Like one, oh. once, like he, he's got this really untidy hair that cannot be tamed. And before the Dursleys send him to school, they send him to a barber and basically get his whole head shaved except for his bangs to hide the lightning scar. And it looks horrible, of course. And Harry is so worried and scared and mad about having to go to school like this. But he wakes up the next morning and his hair looks like he hadn't had a cut at all. That's a weird superpower. <laughs> and like while they're when they're at when they're at the zoo, um, Harry like seems like he's talking to a snake, and then the glass that's separating the people from the snake disappears, and the snake like chases after Dudley. Oh no. So he's got special powers. He's got special powers, but he doesn't like he doesn't make any connection. Okay, sure. Um and then one day a letter comes for Harry and the Dursleys seem to like they really really don't want him to read this letter. They and more and more letters come every day. Like every day they don't give the letter to Harry. Whoever is sending them seems to pick up on that and sends more and they're stuffing them through the chimney and like inside individual eggs that the Dursleys bring home. This like, is, okay, this is fun. I enjoy <laughs> this. This is good, like, hy- hyperbolic children's lit. This hyperbolic is- children's lit, and it's really, like, you, the reader, are... And I'm going to talk a little bit about how smart Rowling is to have made some of the decisions... Some of the decisions she has made from a, um, like, reader surrogate Oh, standpoint. sure. Yeah. But yeah, so so someone's sending all these letters. Harry doesn't know what's up. They run away from the Dursley's house because Uncle Vernon just, just, and he's Mr. Dursley, BT dubs. Oh, okay. Um, just does, does, really does not want Harry to get these letters and thinks if he runs far enough away, they nobody will be able to find him. And so they, they row a boat out to this decrepit old house <laughs> on like a little island. And they're staying there and it's in the middle of a dark and stormy night and this giant guy like knocks the door down and he's like, hey, Harry, you're a wizard. <laughs> Great delivery. One That's of how he says it. lines Harry, in cinematic history. Harry, you're you are a wizard, Harry. You, sir, are a wizard, Harry. You, you my boy, are a wizard. Harry Potter, the wizard boy. Wizard. <laughs> and who's this and giant Harry man doesn't here his the giant man's name is hagrid i don't mm-hmm. like i don't know from here i don't know how much i need to go blow by blow i don't think that we, because yeah, this is sure. like the most read book in the entire universe yeah um but the thing i wanted to talk about that rolling does that's so so smart is as much as it, as it is miserable for Harry Potter, the character, to be totally cut off from his parents and his heritage and everything about himself for like 10 full years, mm. to have Harry Potter know absolutely zero about this whole world of wizarding and magic and then to get thrown into it headfirst is great. Yeah, it's a, I was my first question because I have a couple questions that we'll get to along the way. The first is like, how does it handle this fish out of water story? And you just kind of did a lot of that great setup, which is like he clearly doesn't. He's going to be invited to Wizard World, and he has no idea that that is a thing that even exists. 
And to your point, he's going to get cut off from his home life and be swept away to Wizard World, but his home life sucks. So, like, yeah, right. he, there's actually not a lot to lose by going, which is a great setup, too. Well, and some of the, some of Rowling's work has been compared to uh, rolled dolls, and I think this oh, is the sure. most dolly of the. Yeah, that's a good point. Of the of the constructions is like you are a like I think both in James and the Giant Peach and in Matilda and all kinds of others and Charlie and his Chocolate Factory, like you are a not like disliking your home life isn't always a, a component of it, but you being an underprivileged kid trying to escape from your circumstances yeah, is sure. super common. And then also you turn out to be super special and you didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to save you from this is, is also a component of that. And it, it works well in the doll books and it works well here. Cool. Cool. So um, then he has to get introduced to the world of the wizarding world of Harry he, Potter. He gets introduced to the wizarding world. And, and again, the, the Harry as audience surrogate thing works really well here because, um, because all of the wizard characters are allowed to just dash off stuff like terms that they use every day, and of course they know what they are. And then Harry gets to be like, what? Because you, the audience, are also like, what? And then whoever <laughs> is talking to Harry explains the thing. Now, here's a question I have. Are the other kids, it is all their first year going to wizard school? It's all their first year going to wizard school. So there are a lot of different kinds of wizards. There are wizards who come from wizarding families. Like, it's it's pretty common that that anybody with at least one magical parent will themselves have magical powers okay um but it also happens to be the case that sometimes muggles which is the the name for just regular old normal non-magical people will have a child who happens to have magical powers and so especially for first years like that is that year has to be a, a great equalizer for people because some of them will have been exposed to this stuff their whole life and some of them will have like no idea what's going on and you have to bring all these people up to speed like simultaneously so i saw a quote from rolling where she said that one of the things one of the other big themes of the series in general is just about tolerance and I thought that was interesting, and it seems to be what you're getting at because there is like some uh, prejudice against muggles and people who are part muggle. The word muggle feels like something that is a pejorative. Um, and yet, like uh, along with that, I go to Wikipedia and I look at the fictional universe of Harry Potter, and there's a whole section called blood purity. And it's just the the frankness of that. Like I get it. It's laid out in the world, and she's not condoning that type of sorting, but it is just like, I didn't expect one of the bullet points in the Wikipedia article to be blood purity. Yeah, like if, if we were really going to get into a discussion of, of that in the Harry Potter universe, we'd have to... The, the book that that interfaces with that the most is probably the second book. Oh, the what, Chamber of Secrets? Chamber of Secrets, yeah. yeah. Um, and... Honestly, like I read this first book and it took me like 15 minutes and I forgot how much I enjoyed it. And so now I'm just apparent. I guess I'm just rereading Harry Potter now. Yeah, that's so uh, based on like last week's episode. I'm really hankering to read Speaker for the Dead. So, yeah, why don't you just do that? Uh, and yeah, if we'll it becomes see. A, if it becomes an episode, great. But Who knows? Not, like, whatever. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> um, he's so going to meet... Now I'm sailing through the second book. And yeah, that that book does a lot more with, okay, here are, like, here are pureblood wizarding families. Here are like muggle-born wizards. Here are what different groups of wizards think of those different groups. Like, of course, there are people who think... Pure blood wizards are the only the only way to go. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't let other people into wizarding school. Like we shouldn't mud our muddy our blood with that that muggled stuff. Yeah. And then there's like there's uh one of Harry's friends, Ron Weasley. His dad is um just fascinated by muggles and he thinks he thinks that they have come up with so many like clever ways to get around not having magic. Like so much about like cars and machinery and that kind of stuff that they have they have developed to get by. Does he, is, that... he is impressed by, and I think that is that is the view that Rowling pushes is that you know we're we are all like Muggles, living in our own. We are all living in our own worlds. We're all doing our best. We're all doing really cool and worthwhile things like in our own contexts. Can I... And it's cool, like it's a, it's possible for us to coexist and not have it be a big thing. Is that why Harry Potter looks like it takes place in the past? Because wizards didn't need to make industry. I think I think some of it is that. I think some of it is Rowling's resistance, especially in this first book, to say what year it is. Sure, <laughs> like sure. it just never comes up, and you have. Like Dudley has a computer, but other than that, it could be like any time post but like nineteen eighty five. Once you go to Hogwarts, it is clearly all like Castletown Robe World. Yeah, it's, it's all medieval stuff. Be- because they have magic, they didn't need to like make factories or the internet. Right. Because when you can just like appear in someone's living room with magic, you don't need to create an information superhighway. Yeah, and we could turn into a bird, you don't need a plane. Okay, this makes sense. Sure. Um so and then what the, other... the explanation for why muggles are generally kept in the dark about wizards is mm-hmm. too many muggles would just want magical solutions to all their problems. Uh how how generous of them to not tell us their secrets. Mm-hmm. The wizards to not let us into their chambers. So, whip me through real quick how the the plot of this book lays groundwork for the rest of the series. Because, like, we know that you, as you alluded to, the opening chapter tells us about Voldemort. We haven't really talked about Ron or Hermione, but like they become his fast friends, um, and those are like, and and then also his relationship with Dumbledore, which we haven't talked about at all, um, but like. How do those three big pillars, if I would say his friends, like Dumbledore and teachers writ large, and Voldemort, how do those get set up in this book? So as far as friends set up, like this, the book sets up how he becomes friends with Ron and, Ron and Hermione. He has, he has fast friends with Ron and less fast, but like earned friends with Hermione if do that makes either, sense. Do either of Ron or Hermione have other friends at this point? They they do and there there are definitely other characters like secondary and tertiary characters who become like there are some who just show up every once in a while and like you you know oh I've seen this character a couple times before I kind of have a read on what this character's deal okay, is. Okay, sure. Um, Ron's brothers, twin brothers, Fred and George, are particularly good secondary characters. Yeah. Um, 
and, hel- and helpful, yet- I imagine, for dispensing, like, here's how this works information while also, like, teasing Ron. Yeah, like, like Ron Ron is good for that because he's brought up in a wizarding family, and Hermione is is good for that because she is the book smart one. Like, she, she has muggle parents, but she has done, like, she is so bookish and eager to learn that she has knowledge that Harry doesn't because she's just devoured so many so many she's... books about things since she found out that this is what the deal was. Okay, cool. Um, cool. They yeah, they primarily hang out with each other, but Rowling does a pretty good job of making a universe that feels like it has other people in it, which is <laughs> something that not all books yeah, manage to true. do in this genre. Okay. Um, and it also it also does a lot to lay out. Okay, here's Hogwarts and what Hogwarts's deal is, and then it talks about sorting. And <sighs> uh oh, sorting is a so Hogwarts. Every student in Hogwarts is sorted into one of four houses, and each of those houses is defined by a couple of different personality traits. Yes, and. I just like I guess okay so let me I can read so you when you get sorted you put a hat on your head and the hat tells you what house you need to be sorted into and then you go into that house and whatever and Ron um, and Hermione go into one and then like Harry might go into that one yeah like Ron and Hermione are in, in Gryffindor um all right so let me just read the read the thing that the sorting hat says okay um you might belong in Gryffindor where dwell the brave at heart their daring nerve and chivalry set Gryffindors apart. You might belong in Hufflepuff where they are just and loyal. Those patient Hufflepuffs are true and unafraid of toil. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've a ready mind where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. Or perhaps in Slytherin, you'll make your real friends. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. Hmm. So you got four houses. You got brave. You got loyal. And patient. Uh huh. Uh huh. You've got clever. Mm-hmm. And you've got evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, okay. Listen, okay, so that's not evident in the Sorting Hats thing, but all the characters in the book say that no wizards who went over to Voldemort's side weren't in Slytherin. All the other houses in Hogwarts hate everybody in Slytherin. Everybody in Slytherin is a giant jerk to everybody <laughs> there are so many words that i cycled through before i had settled on jerk just know that so um, okay like the book slither there's nobody there's not a good slytherin in this book like everybody in slytherin their their motives are suspect at best yes now uh that we do have some good friends who run they have their own podcast i'll give them a shout out it's called the sorting chat which you can go find and they sort a lot of like historical figures and characters and celebrities into different houses and one of the things that they wrestle with i think and that the rest of the world who takes buzz buzzfeed quizzes has wrestled with is all those like, 90s kids uh, is slytherin all evil because like the classic example is that like lin-manuel miranda is a slytherin like he just he takes whatever he can to he's very cunning and yeah, takes so, every opportunity in front of him so but all you, the kids in this book who are in slytherin are evil if you expand to like the the fandom conversation about this, I I want to and and mm, mm-hmm. I am not fully immersed in this, so I might get things wrong. But the fans tend to take a slightly dimmer view of Gryffindors, like viewing them oh. to be like so self righteous as to maybe be insufferable some of the time. Sure. 
and to create a little more space for Slytherin, like for for their cunning not to be evil, for it to be just like you know hustling. Interesting. That's a that's um, a balancing act that I can respect on the part of the fandom. Sure, and then and then like also Hufflepuffs. Like in the book, the impression of Hufflepuffs that you get is they're just sort of well-meaning and doofy. <laughs> but the fandom creates more creates more space for Hufflepuffs to be um, just like very very friendly extroverts and and this is okay like people this... people who just make um, empathy and and friendliness their main trade. This gets to an interesting point because on the one hand you have uh, like a fandom that wants to talk more about this book than is than is like necessary for the plot to happen right um Mm -hmm. and then that creates a tension between the way that this like system of sorting serves the narrative and the way it serves the creation of a fictional universe it's like you want to talk about these four houses like i bet there were good ish people in slytherin before voldemort showed up right but like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there have been good-ish people in Slytherin after Voldemort showed but up. Like, but you those never were the meet people... any of them. You meet like four Slytherins and they're all giant D-bags. <laughs> well, and, and that's because he's still out there. And so those are the people who are most susceptible to him like taking advantage of them, probably. Like maybe. Maybe. Though, yeah, no, no, though no, no, no. again, yeah, sure, again sure. in the second book, you start talking about how, oh, like the the guy who founded Slytherin House was, was a, like a pure-blood evangelist guy and like he's been kind of gross from the beginning and it's like it really raises the question like if you know one of the houses is just (laughs) racist and evil why do you let people why why do you let people in why did we just burn that hat and just like all the bad people and then (laughs) you also have the like and this compares a little bit to me is like the discussion of the sport of quidditch where like the houses exist to help like a put Harry and Voldemort in opposition or also like Harry is like, could be Slytherin, could be Gryffindor. And so he's special, but well, like, and it also, and it also, it helps the reader. Like when you've got sure. these yep. four basic, pretty, pretty readable houses, like where, where everybody shares certain qualities if they're in a certain house, like, you as a reader only need to know that someone is a Hufflepuff to be able to assume certain things about them. Just namely that they're ten. Yeah. Namely that they are friendly and that they won't matter much to the <laughs> forward motion of the story. <laughs> but in the same way that like Quidditch as a sport doesn't make any sense. It's just like the why would you invent a sport that would have a part of it that like the main character could win? Like, no one would make a sport like that. Quidditch is just a, it's it's a you know those games with the lightning round that where you get so many points in the lightning round that the other rounds don't matter anymore. Correct it's that except it starts with the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> so and the if, lightning round is always going no matter what else is happening in and, the game. And correct me if I'm wrong because you just read this book. Quidditch is the is the broom riding basically like polo sport. Yes. Where the balls are alive due to magic, and one yes. of them is worth all the points, mm-hmm. and Harry is in charge of catching it. So Quidditch, I will. I want to get back to the house thing. Okay. Because it gets to like 
it gets to part of my problem with the, the Harry Potter fandom, and then maybe we can talk about fandom in general. <laughs> sure, boy. Let's, oh, boy. <laughs> all right. So let me let me see if I can remember all the things of Quidditch. So in Quidditch, you've got three chasers. Yeah. The chaser's job is to take the red quaffle, which is like, I, I want to say like playground kickball size. Okay. And throw it through one of three hoops that exist at either end of a Quidditch stadium. Sure, that, that sounds right. The keeper is the goalie who tries to keep the quaffle from going in those rings. Okay. Um, then on each team you have two beaters who have just like basically baseball bats. <laughs> The beater's I always found job, this kind of gross. It's it's strange. The beater's job is to keep these other balls. There are like two black balls that are slightly smaller than quaffles. Maybe like a softball or something. Yeah, yeah. called uh, not not no not even softball size, like bigger than that, but like shot put ball maybe. Okay, sure. Um, those are called bludgers, and the bludgers just fly randomly around the field, just trying to hit people and knock them off their brooms. And so the beater, like each team's beater's job is to keep those bludgers away from their team and knock them toward the other team. Okay, okay. And then um, the the most important figure on each team is the seeker. The seeker chases after the golden snitch, which is like a golf ball-ish sized golden ball with wings that flies around the field the entire game. Um. The snitch is worth 150 points, and whoever catches it ends the game. So to to give you to sh- tell you what this math is like, getting a getting the quaffle through a ring is 10 points, and then catching the snitch is worth 150 points. So this like is the there's worst there's sport. There is zero incentive for anybody who happens to be behind in points to catch the snitch. There is. Like there, there is virtually no way a game will ever last long enough that somebody who didn't catch the snitch could win the game. Yeah. Like it's, it might as, I don't know. It's just, it's a bunch of static and noise and people flying around. And then you've got the two sneaker, the two seekers looking for the snitch and they define the narrative arc of every single Quidditch game. And, and again, I think it is a game built to have narrative arcs where like, as Harry ends up becoming good at riding on a broom, as I recall, he becomes a good a good seeker. Not a and seeker, Harry. Chaser, Harry is a sneaker. Harry is a natural. I talked about this a little bit last week when we when they, we did the Ender's Game show. But b- riding a broom and Quidditch, particularly, are things that Harry is excellent at without trying, and it's a way to set him apart. Give him like yeah, it's a way it's a way to set him apart. It's a way to let him earn a reputation aside from the one that he already has from something he doesn't even remember. Sure, sure. And it's a way to make him feel at home and grounded in this wizard world where everything else is a mystery to him. Okay, that's a good that's a better read on Quidditch than my sports fan read on Quidditch, which is that it makes no sense. <laughs> As a as a sport, yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense at all. As a narrative device, and and even like in later books, you get you get these Quidditch chapters that you know they play out like a sport. They break up the the flow of the story while also often giving you another fact or two. Yeah, that sure. Moves the rest of the story together. So just as a um, as a, as a way to give the story some peaks and valleys. 
Quidditch yeah, it marks is a time, which is helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna operate on a schedule. You wanted to get back to the houses. I have other stuff, but you want to get back to the houses. About I don't, I don't know that we're gonna do that much. Okay, so we'll do the houses, then we'll get back to your pillars. That okay, you want to talk about? Sure. Um, my my issue with the houses and with the way people like the way people go nuts about sorting themselves and sorting other people, like. I just don't find this a useful way to interface with the world. Like just to, to have four boxes that you attempt to put all of humanity into just does not strike me as a valuable exercise. A lot of the time. Interesting. Do you, I don't like, okay. I don't, and I don't, I don't want to put people down who do this. Like this is all sure. my own hang up with this stuff. No. So I want to unpack that. So do you also, I, I think I know the answer to these questions. Like, do you find sorting people into like D and D alignment charts anything more than occasionally funny? I think that's fun, but there are like nine. There are nine <laughs> different. <laughs> is like, it just, just that there's four? Like, do you yeah, also part of, part of it? Yeah, part of it really okay. is that there are there's such a limited number, and I know that the the fun some people find is yeah there is such a limited number so how do we take these people who contain multitudes and stuff them into an individual house like that part of it is like fine for me okay my 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 real issue i guess is not with people who do it for fun but like i mean let's let's talk about trump's election like like, let's talk about sure 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 there there are a bunch of stories from back in april and i don't know like the people who did this may or may not have intended this to make headlines like it did but um there are people on Twitter. There are people at, there's a student group at Harvard. Like there are people who are saying, you know, we're Dumbledore's army now. And it's a reference and to, and what, this is a order reference, of the Phoenix, right? This is a reference to a thing that happened in the fifth book, yeah, which sure. I think is order of the Phoenix. Yes, that's correct. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's like this underground group that existed in opposition to like the government and, and like this, this hostile, takeover of the wizarding world in the face of like this larger evil thing sure um it's so it's it's rough because one of the things about like one of the reasons people read books yeah and make references to books is like it helps them make sense of the world around them and like i i don't want to i don't want to suggest that people using harry potter to understand the world they live in i I don't want to i don't want to imply that that's like universally a bad thing sure i just find like this it's this house system it's the very black and white like morality like throughout the throughout the books which is i think i think evidence the most strongly in like the gryffindor slytherin split where people yeah, are either yeah. heroic and courageous or evil and evil evil snake people yeah sure um, like it's just I feel like people who use Harry Potter references as their main way to like filter the world, like is there is their main pop culture touchstone for the world are just they just are not they, I I want them to challenge themselves a little bit more. Okay, but can all. I can I just pick further on that though? Please is do it, because I know I know this is just a frust this is a it's a frustration that you have. I have yes. to grind and it's just my stuff. Is it is the reason that your axe to grind about is about Harry Potter just because of the sheer size and popularity that is Harry Potter makes it more prevalent? Yeah. And so like 
the real issue is that people are just using like are you taking issue with pop culture as a means of understanding the world or are you taking a a specific issue with Harry Potter as a means of understanding the world. I guess that's my question. I get. I mean, I get similarly frustrated. I think when people use like Star Wars to do this sort of yeah, thing, but sure. I also, I also don't think it happens as much. And that could be also be a generational thing because a lot of us, it could be a generational said, thing, children it of could the nineties and yeah, stuff like social that. Social media bubble thing, like. And I think what's interesting is I I was thinking about as you were talking about that i was thinking about tolkien and thinking about like one of the things that went i think underexplored in my personal journey with tolkien on our show (laughs) uh is because that does have a very you know black and white morality at times or like a very like two-dimensional morality at times rather yeah like the the most complex it gets i think is when people are being bent to the ring's will and you don't you just don't get a lot of that no um, and that's something that I didn't really consider, and I obviously I came around a bit more on that series as we did those books, and we're talking to listeners about it. But like the number of people who carry those books with them as a as a symbol for uh, how to endure something, or how in particular Frodo and his quest, and like how to carry on in the spite. In, in spite of like an oppressive force. And in his case, it's not even just like the numbers, but it is a like malignant, just un, like abstract force that is oppressing him. Um, and what that means for like how you can in, endure in the face of anything affecting your life. Um, that was something that I didn't know was as important to people as it was even. And I certainly encountering it through the critical lens of our podcast. I didn't even like jive with at the time. If I'd encountered it sooner, I I might have in my life. Sure. Um, And I wonder if there's some of that to this, but I also get your point that like on the one hand, it is fun to figure out how to, how to map real world things into this, like, oddly amoral house sorting system like and i mean amoral <laughs> in the sense that like it in the narrative it it casts judgment but as you say the fandom like doesn't want to cast judgment on the houses um that can be fun and exciting in an intellectual way but like i don't know i, I don't know how how that's useful to people in dealing with their daily lives whereas some of the other thematic stuff like how harry deals with the fact that his parents are dead and how he deals with other characters that he loses throughout the series and and some of the other obstacles like that to me is probably probably more impactful well and to like and to, to counter my own griping i think <laughs> that's good i like that I mean, one reason why people use super huge common pop culture touchstones to interface with the world around them is because this stuff is shorthand that other people can't easily access. Yeah, totally. As we referenced with monoculture earlier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I just, I, I get frustrated with it. It's part of my wider frustration with fandom. And here's my theory about fandom is that all fandoms everywhere are horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. That's good. You don't like people who identify 
themselves by the things they like. I know that yes, about you. That That's is, a yeah, truism. that is that is my jam. Is like if you if you identify with a a thing that you buy, like if you buy an Apple computer. And then you feel like you need to get on a forum and argue with strangers about why Apple is great because you don't want to feel bad about how you spent your money. Please miss me with that. So here's an interesting thing, though, because like on the one hand, Harry Potter and like buying Harry Potter merchandise or like getting really into the nitty gritty materialism of the fandom could become a similar version of what you just said about Apple fans. The... I dove really into this book and this universe speaks to me and these characters help me make sense of both myself and the world around me. Those are two different things, which I think is kind of interesting. Like the fact that it became this giant media empire allows it to become the thing you don't like. But I think part of just the power of the narrative is what keeps it in the thing that we would probably more associate, associate with like, canonical works from like a hundred years ago right mm-hmm. um hmm yeah and i just like to to cap this conversation and then move on to the rest of the book so we can so we can wrap up like i want to make super certain and I, it's probably i hope none of you feel super judged by me it's just like <laughs> it's your personal thing this is me on my podcast that i co-run <laughs> that i can do whatever i want on Working out my Harry Potter and fandom stuff. I love it. I love it. Like I, I, I want to leave room for people to use fiction and use these books in like any way that they need to use them. And like, don't let me being a curmudgeon, like take away the fun that you have, like being into Harry Potter. Like if, yeah. like when I say all fandoms are terrible, I'm probably not talking about you. <laughs> No, and I think what you're referencing is, is I'm just I'm talking about the people who love a thing so much that they put up gates to keep other people from getting into a thing. Yep, that's what I wanted to get to. Yeah, is that kind of like that toxic version of internet fandom that is like you're not a fan enough or you're a fan in the wrong way or you clearly don't get what's important about this thing. Or you're like a fake fan because you you know you've only read the books and you haven't gotten into the extended whatever. Yeah, like I, I know yeah. that exists a lot in um, Star Wars in particular. I think yep. I feel like Star Trek fans are just chiller overall, but I could be. Let's fingers crossed on that one. I could um, be misreading that. So talk to me briefly. We, I, you we, want to talk about your other your other pillars real quick? Yeah, my my other pillars were Dumbledore and Voldemort. Dull, Dumbledore. Dumbledore and Voldemort um, <laughs> talk to me about those two because those two last in some way, shape, or form throughout the rest of the books. So um, Harry Harry has a couple of interactions with Dumbledore, but mostly Dumbledore seems to like Dumbledore definitely has an interest in Harry. Okay, that he doesn't necessarily have in every kid in in Hogwarts. Though of course we don't, you know, we only see everything through Harry's eyes. So maybe Dumbledore has little moments with a lot of the kids throughout school, and then he touches all their lives in in whatever way that they need. Like I think that in, in that way, like Dumbledore is a model on a lot of great educators. Yeah, sure. Um, but Dumbledore is aware that Harry is special, but also largely wants to, and this is this is a less morbid version of what we talked about in Ender's Game, but wants to leave him to his own devices so he can prove himself, so he can find out stuff for his own, so he can 
be his own person and not be famous Harry Potter who is going to yeah. have everything given to yeah, him and, and everything provided for him. Okay. Um, so the, you know, the cornered stones of that relationship are built, are built here. Um, okay. And then as far as Voldemort, so Voldemort is like, nobody quite knows what happened to him after he tried to kill Harry and failed, but people, people in the know, I guess, or like the people who, spend the most time worrying about this stuff. Don't think that he died. They just think that they think he's out there somewhere powerless, but and hoping what, to find a way back in. Can you just remind me like at, at this point, like what did he do that he is he who shall not be named? Like he was what? just a real he was an evil wizard who killed a lot of people and tried to amass a ton of power and hated muggles and okay, hated okay. hated non pure blood people. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure, like, I couldn't remember, like, I knew he was a bad guy, but I didn't, at this point in the books, when he's not even really appearing in this book, I didn't remember why. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he does appear in this book. Hmm. Toward the end. Um, he is, he has basically hijacked a Hogwarts professor Okay. So there is there is this thing called the Philosopher's or Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Stone that um, can be used both to change things into gold and to create an elixir of life that can like give you life and power again, like unlimited sure. life and power, basically. And Dumbledore has hidden it in Hogwarts, and all of the professors in school have guarded it with different charms and spells and, and things to, to protect it. And the whole year, um, Harry thinks that this guy, professor Snape is, is trying to get at the sorcerer's stone for, for whatever reason, like possibly to help Voldemort just because Snape is pretty shifty and he hates Harry a lot. Um, and he's like the sponsor of Slytherin or something, right? Yeah. He's the, he's the head of house Slytherin. Okay. Um, so of course, because every Slytherin is evil. Yeah, of course. You would assume Snape is evil. I think I feel like Snape is the only Slytherin who really gets to have shades. Sure. Which is too bad. I mean that that may not be the case with with all books, but as I'm, that's like his arc in the series. To, yeah, that, yeah, to my memory, you are surprised whenever he isn't evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay whenever he gets to play against type well and is, that's why the, you that's, being surprised that yeah. is why those types are useful right is that you lay them out and then you get to have some characters like surprise you by acting against type sure yeah sure yeah. okay um but so he's hijacked this thing and snape but so so it. another so another professor has been has been like sort of possessed or co-possessed by voldemort and Voldemort is really close to getting the Sorcerer's Stone. And it's only through all kinds of like secret sleuthing, like classic kid sleuthing from Harry yeah. and Ron and Hermione that they managed to stop him just in time. Okay. And that's the that's the format that the first the first three books especially, but the I think the first four use no, it's it's mostly the first three. Is they like every every book is an opportunity for Voldemort to try to come back and for Harry and company to try and piece things together and stop him. Yeah, it's like the the trifecta I found was that it's like the genres are contemporary fantasy, a mystery thriller in like yep. 
almost Holmesian kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then like an overlap with English boarding school books, which is just yes. like the culture of going away to school. And, and the, none of your parents are around. None of your parents are around. How There's do you so sort much fiction out? that just with with kids, like so much Spielbergy stuff that just pretends that parents don't exist. <laughs> and so British fiction was just like, what if we actually address that in the <laughs> yeah. context of the book? <laughs> sure. And this, like, as I recall, we don't really confront Voldemort. It reminds me of a lot of first entries in like trilogies and other larger series where like you get the first we, conf- we confront a weakened version of Voldemort who is dispatched fairly easily, sure. but there's a lot of foreshadowing. Like, okay. you, he is confirmed to still be out there. He is confirmed to have enough influence to be within like spitting distance of power again. Okay, and that is enough that that people should be afraid. Mm, be very, or at afraid. least our our heroes should be afraid, even if the wider wizarding world is not. Sure, sure. Okay. So Any- I mean to to close I will just say I I came into this book only th- like remembering mostly my like gripes about fandom and my general dissac- dissatisfaction with the later books and I was genuinely surprised that this this is a really strong like really outstanding children's book. That's cool. And even even if you're not a a child, you can really you can appreciate the structure. You can appreciate what Rowling is doing with like audience surrogate stuff. What mm. like the world that she's building. Like it is just it is it is short. It is funny. Like genuinely funny. It is like really really well constructed. It and it breezes by like it's so easy and fun to read. And yeah. I I had. I had forgotten that, and mm. I was really glad to be reminded of that. Is that this is a really genuinely great book that I think deserves the commercial success that it found. That's cool. I'm glad you feel that way. I was thinking, like, you seem like you were prepared for me to be like more down. On no, it. no, no, no. I had like two. I was thinking like two different thoughts at once. One is that uh, as we've done this like November stuff that we remember series we could have come up with a good name for it and we just never did we just never did remember november yeah no that makes it sound like we're trying to remember a month no um both ender the other two books that i read ender's game and wrinkling time not that ender's game is explicitly a children's book by any means but they both impressed me and this is i'm glad that you felt the same way about this one that like there's a tautness and a focus to a lot of literature aimed at younger readers that comes from like okay how do we make sure that they don't get lost um how do we there's an economy to the language that is always helpful yeah like that's what i that's what i really love about the best pixar movies is there is just there is no storytelling beat wasted there is there is nothing there's nothing there are no stray hairs anywhere like everything is very tightly constructed and it tells the story it intends to tell and it's not particularly fancy about it and it doesn't try to get too clever about it but it just it's so tight and it's so like every every one of those really good Pixar movies like Up and and Wally and uh the better toy stories 
could easily be its own like clinic in how to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And good. I think that Harry Potter, Harry Potter is is that way too in a lot of ways. Just like it's, it really it really shows you how to how to do a good job with stuff, and it's the foundation that I think, especially any good like widely read like pop culture book or pop culture like reference point is um yeah it's just amazing how how kind of like slim and modest it is compared to what the rest of the series became yeah and like none none of the books in like even the longer later ones like those margins are pretty big gang sure. like the font sizes are <laughs> fairly large they're not huge books but um but yeah there there is an economy to this that is really impressive and to to books 2 and 3 especially that are just that are that are really they're just really tightly constructed really fun little books that you can read in a weekend and they stick with you like they they are there are lines that stick with you. There are plot points that stick with you. And you and I was surprised to when I when I reread this, like all the little plot beats. I remember like when Harry r- rides a broom for the first time or when he oh, sure. When he's being bewildered by all the new wizarding stuff like you. I felt that with Harry again in a way that I like I assumed that would be diminished over time. And it wasn't. Mm, that's and cool. I can't like I can't say if somebody's reading this at age thirty two for the first time like maybe they would feel that or maybe they wouldn't but y- yeah the nostalgia might be part of the play there but that but like obviously my I don't have super rose colored glasses where Harry Potter that's, is that's concerned. true so that's true. like so yeah like I, I think there's a reason this became like a cross generational cross like it it crosses so many of the of the barriers that are normally up between people with regard to like the stuff that they like. Yeah, for sure. And, and like I, I have there, a, there there are really good reasons for that. I, I have a cousin who has a daughter that's not a teenager yet and she like super into Fantastic Beasts and has probably read all of the books and probably seen all of the movies now even though like they all came out before she could read um like so it's it's It'll be interesting to see what is next for the Harry Potter fandom in particular because J.K. Rowling is like 52 or something. She keeps she keeps so, circling like coming out with a new a She's new got set of plenty books. of she's, time. She's going to come back to it eventually, I think. Yeah. Um, she's uh she's ready to go. But yeah, I feel like I I think that that you know, sh- should I ever have kids, this would be on that yeah, yeah. This will be on that list of things to to give them to read when they're when they're old enough to to want to read it. Like the same as as my mom did with me and and Lewis and Tolkien. So that's pretty cool. I can't I I can't think of higher praise than that from me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap up. If uh, if there's part of Harry Potter that we didn't hit because we definitely didn't hit everything. Um, if you want to talk to us specifically about a point I didn't have time to raise about the fact that Dumbledore thinks this is a world of choices and learning from our choices, and yet it's all about how good of a wizard you're born, you can... It's all about what a hat tells you to do. (laughs) 
you can uh, send us an email about that particular tension uh, at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media, twitter.com. What if when you were 11 years old, an old hat told you that what your whole rest of your life was going to be like? It's just like you're going to be an evil snake person. Get with it. But start listening to emo now. Let's go. Um, hit us up at twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod. Um, we are recording this pretty early again because of Thanksgiving, but we've already gotten a lot of great responses to last week's episode and some previous episodes. So I have a bunch of people to thank this week for reaching out, including Sean, Dion, Nathan, Alex, Lauren, Michael, David, Rob, Heather, Destination Toast, Catherine, Megan, Nikki, Drunken Library, Albie, Graham, Jennifer, Tracy, Emily, Rebecca, Jess, Bob the Maestro, Starfish Chick, William, Rachel, Amy, Stewart, Becky, Melissa, Jake, Jacqueline, Liz, and Agnes, uh, and dumbing back on Rebecca for sending, sending us that fun list of Harry Potter differences between the Sorcerer and Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Andrew, folks want to learn more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com. That is the internet destination for all things Overdue. We have links to our social media pages that Craig mentioned. We have links to iTunes, Google Play, and RSS. You can use those to subscribe to the show. We have links to our Patreon project. We have a, a new listener page that that tells people who are new to the show the episodes that we like the best so they can go listen to them. And uh, we have schedules for the the next month month's worth of books that I think people will like. Um if you do like us, please, you know, email us, review us on iTunes, tweet at us. Like the response to the Ender's Game episode has been really great. I know we like we went out on a limb with that one a bit, I think. Similar with this episode, I think. Yeah, just like making it more about about our read on the book as opposed and and the author as opposed to just the book itself. And um and yeah, it's 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 nice to know that you guys are on board and like comfortable enough with us to let us do that yeah. instead of like a more typical just like examining the plot and the and the author and, and that kind of context without coloring it too much with all of our our historical like reference points for it. Um And also you, no, go ahead. Well, also you uh don't forget that store. Uh, we mentioned it in the ad break, so go back to the ad break if you need more details. Overduepodcast.com slash store. We're opening up for the holiday season. Get in there. Get your stuff. Get out. Get um, your stuff. Get next yours. Up, next up for us is um, a joint bonus episode on Fahrenheit 451. Um, so that's coming up for you. And, and then now, we'll we'll be posting the December yeah. schedule at some point in the next couple days. So Keep an eye out for that. If it, yeah. it may already be up by the time you listen to this. Who knows? Who knows? Ooh. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Have a really great holiday for those of you who in the U.S. Like, or I hope you had a great holiday. Yeah. I, guess. I don't know. <laughs> what is time? What is time? All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, try to be happy. You wizards. That was a HeadGum Podcast.